And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Aaron Abke, fellow YouTube content creator and paradigm-shifting spiritual teacher that delivers a fresh, new perspective on self-realization through his teachings on the law of one, non-duality, and spiritual intelligence. Aaron aims to provide humanity with the tools, knowledge, and practices needed to aid our collective ascension to enlightenment or fourth density consciousness. Aaron, thank you for joining me today and welcome. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's great to finally be uh, chatting with you on your show. I feel like it's been a long time coming. It's great having you. I know you're well known on YouTube, but I'm sure there's some people here that this is the first time they've met you. So can you briefly just give us a little history of how you went from Christianity to the law of run? Yeah, so grand overview is... I was born and raised as a pastor's kid, was a devout Christian, wanted to follow my dad's footsteps, and did so up till 23 years old. I graduated from Oral Roberts University with a degree in music and theology to be a worship pastor, got a full-time job as a worship pastor, and then I had been going through a kind of crisis of faith since I was 18, but really deeply burying and suppressing the internal conflict, you know, of, uh, hey, I don't really believe a lot of this stuff anymore. And when I was 23, I got a job at a church that was like very fundamentalist and legalistic and was just preaching all these insane ideas about God being jealous and punishing and all that. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And it kind of forced me or life put me in a position that forced me to accept my internal conflict and move through it. So left my religion at 23, lost every single friend I had ever had in my life. I had never had a non-Christian friend in my life. So as it goes, when you leave a cult, if we want to use that word, the cult members don't like it when you leave and you question their ideologies. So they tend to call you a heretic, a backslider, and this and that. So I really went through a deep, dark night of the soul for about four years after that, um, struggling with, I don't even know what I believe about God anymore or the universe. Um, I used to believe that God looked like Jesus. My heart still says that that's true, but I don't have any evidence that that's true. Like I was just open to whatever. And, um, after going through a kind of closet atheist phase, which I think I needed to go through, I really wanted answers to these existential questions of, is there a God? Is there a purpose? Who am I? Why am I here? And so the, you know, curiously, as you'll appreciate, the place that I was really led was near-death experiences. Uh, I wanted to, to, you know, get some semblance of an answer I could really wrap my hands around and feel good about. And I thought to myself, hey, if anybody knows if there's an afterlife, if there's a God, it's probably people who've died and come back. And sure enough, man, you know, after reading dozens and dozens of NDEs every day for about six months, I was just obsessive about reading these NDEs because I needed the proof and probably read a few thousand near-death experiences in that six-month period. And it was clear to me that there are these commonalities and, and repeated patterns in every single one virtually of these NDEs, which is the leaving the body, you know, consciousness leaving the body, existing as your same sense of self, but outside the physical body, going towards a light, which is felt as this unconditional, non-judgmental love, uh, feeling of oneness with the light. And then a life review where you get to review your whole life and all the mistakes you made and how you treated people. And that all resonated so profoundly, obviously because it's true, but that's what eventually led me to the law of one, which 
because I had an interest in these questions and understanding like, why does the soul incarnate? What's the overarching purpose of why we do this peopling thing over and over? There's got to be a reason. The Law of One is a channel text from the 1980s that is basically a group of UFO researchers who were um, trying to understand the UFO phenomenon from the, you know, in the 70s, there was a ton of UFO activity sparking up in the public sphere. And so they were like, hey, what's this phenomenon of like aliens hovering around in their craft, but not talking to us? Like, why are they doing this? And so this group uh, was very wise to think that maybe if we want to know who these beings are and why they're here, we should be a lot more interested in their spirituality than in their technology. Maybe these beings are like sort of enlightened, advanced beings from other worlds who come here to maybe sort of be of service to struggling planets and whatnot. And so maybe there's a certain rule set they abide by, you know. So they started channeling to reach out to extraterrestrials who are in our planet sphere right now. And it was about 12 years of doing that where they had every so often they would have some decent contacts through their channeling. But the big mistake they made was that all their channelers were men, <laughs> all 12 of them. And it just seems to be the case that women are much more natural channelers than men. Not that men can't channel, but basically every profound channel text ever written has been through a, a female. And so that that was what the universe brought them was a girlfriend of one of the guys who was learning how to channel in this group. Her name was Carla Rukart. And uh, she was watching these sessions and she was fascinated and really interested. And she was like, hey, can you guys teach me how to channel? And they were like, sure. And they started teaching her how to channel. And within a very short period of time, she was top of the class. And so then she starts teaching new students how to channel. And it was in one session with a student where she was teaching a student how to get into the trance state and receive a channel or open to a channel. And this entity comes through really strongly, which um, identified itself as Ra. And the sort of leader of this group was named Don Elkins. And he was a uh, electrical engineer and physicist at a, I believe at a university and was really interested in the UFO phenomenon and all of that. And so he would lead these, these channeling sessions and he immediately recognized, whoa, we've got a profound contact here. We should um, give this a lot of space and attention. So he developed a dedicated regular channeling session with Carla another man named Jim McCarty, who served as the scribe, writing down the transcriptions and recording them on audio. And then Don was the questioner. So long story short, they the entity revealed itself as what it calls a sixth density social memory complex from the planet Venus. So basically, the entire civilization of Venus from about 2 billion years ago, uh, back when Venus was kind of the Goldilocks planet of our solar system, uh, there was an advanced race of beings like ourselves who were back then in the third density two billion years ago, and they evolved through the densities to the sixth density. And apparently, as consciousness evolves through the densities, and we'll get more into this if you're confused, um, our ability to read minds and telepathically communicate will increase as consciousness increases. As the vibratory frequency of consciousness expands, we can actually sort of like you can pick up on the feelings of somebody pretty easily without them uh, having to tell you how they feel. 
Well, we can actually do that with thoughts as well, but thoughts are a much subtler vibration than, than emotions are. So we're actually always picking up on thoughts of the people around us in very subtle ways, but we just think it's our own thought or whatever. We're not really tuned into that level of awareness yet, but as our consciousness expands, we get more and more familiar with those deeper dimensions of awareness, and we'll be able to communicate telepathically with each other. Uh, some people can already do this to some degree. But as that phenomenon increases, basically verbal communication becomes um, unnecessary, sort of outlives its usefulness, because now we can just, I can implant the exact idea I'm thinking right into your mind, such that you actually feel it and experience it exactly as I do. So now there's no, no ability for miscommunication. <laughs> I know you're probably thinking like, wow, if we could only have that in our world today, it would solve so many problems we just have this total polarization right in our kind of like political sphere of two sides that cannot understand each other do not empathize with each other and as soon as you and i can feel each other's feelings and have access to each other's thoughts a lot of empathy and love is created from that because it's kind of oneness so as that evolves um planetary civilizations eventually kind of merge into one larger mind so there still are, I think Ra's memory complex, they say has six and a half, six and a half million, or it might be like 60 million. I think it's 60 million, about 60 million entities in the memory complex, but they're all still individuals who are, let's say, in different areas of the universe at any given time, but they share one collective mind. So let's say that you, Jeff, are in New York and I'm in San Francisco. And I'm walking down the street and someone says, hey, uh, can I talk to Jeff real quick, Aaron? And I say, sure, no problem. And then they just talk to me and I can just access Jeff's consciousness and answer these questions as if I'm Jeff, because I have full access to Jeff's mind and vice versa. So now it's like we're still, we're still in individual bodies and having our own evolutionary journey, but we're sharing this larger mind so that we have much more intelligence at our disposal, much more... Um, knowledge and experience and all of that. So Ra is speaking for, you know, 60 million some odd souls who are again in the sixth density now, which is a very advanced level of consciousness. And they just go through this question and answer with Ra, um, asking Ra about the nature of the universe and why are we here? What it, What is reincarnation? Why do our souls come here to do this? What's the objective of the universe? And uh, as many people say, and as certainly as I felt when I read it, the law of one just has this uncanny way, unlike any text you'll ever read, for really giving you these remarkably satisfying answers to these questions that do not diminish the incredible complexity of the universe and the intelligence of the universe to like some simple answer, but they do, ex they do explain the basic archetypes and functions going on here in a way that anyone can understand and kind of see the bigger picture. So to me, I just never tire of talking about this text and teaching from it because not just the framework, the, the metaphysical framework that it gives of the universe is amazing, but the spiritual clarity on how do we actually balance trauma, emotion, how do we evolve, which they call polarizing, how do we polarize spiritually? Um, the, the law of one also gives incredibly powerful answers for those kinds of questions as well. Some of my near-death experiencers will say when they're on the other side, they're all one.
but you're saying it's a group of about 60 million people. At some certain density, does it become that everybody is all one? Yeah, so I like to use the analogy of a mirror shattering. One of my videos on YouTube, I have, I have a video of this happening where it's one mirror, right, perfectly connected, and then it shatters and you see all the fragments blowing out into space. And then I pause and then reverse the video and all the fragments start returning back to the mirror until it's solid again. That's kind of what the creator does, right? With the universe, it's as if it kind of shatters itself into trillions of fractals of itself, which we call souls. And those souls go all the way out into space time. And they go as far away from the creator as possible, sort of like unraveling the creator's DNA. And that, that DNA of the creator is what the Law of One describes as the seven densities of consciousness. So it's like there's seven major noticeable gradations in the creator's DNA, and they correlate to our seven energy centers. So if you know the seven energy centers, the chakras, and kind of what each chakra represents, then you have a really good leg up to understanding the densities. Because the densities are just sort of like the chakras of the universe. So the creator begins at first density, which correlates to the root chakra, the red ray. And that's the density of just pure being, pure existence. So it's the five elements, earth, water, fire, air, and space. And so consciousness spends, you know, a couple billion years at least in that density, just learning how to exist in form in space and time. And then after a few billion years, at least on our planet, um, you know, a planet will solidify oceans and land and the magma and the elements are interacting until they form a cohesive planet. And then within the ocean, we have our first form of second density life starts to evolve. Second density of consciousness correlates to the sacral chakra, the second chakra. That's the orange ray. And that's the chakra of like um, personal, the personal self being an individual, having awareness as an individual and interacting with an environment. So like a rock can't really move around and have relationship with its environment because it is the environment. But a second density life form can now, actually not can, has to learn how to exist in an environment. So it's kind of survival. Survival of the fittest evolves at that density. So everything from microbial life all the way through, you know, ocean life, insects, plants, and animals, anything that's a sentient being that can interact with an environment is second density. After a few more billion years, consciousness evolves into the third density. And that, that's when a, a really amazing phenomenon happens where, as far as we know, it's only happened in the human being on this planet. I kind of have a feeling, though, Jeff, that like dolphins and maybe even elephants are like early stage third density beings because they're just so intelligent and they they do demonstrate many characteristics of true self-awareness but let's just say humans for the sake of simplicity are the only self-aware beings that means when the mind kind of is able to flip inwards on itself and become an object to itself and say I am, I exist, I'm an individual separate entity in the universe. Uh, when that's a conceptual understanding, that's the beginning of third density. And so to pause here and give you more context of what density means, 
Density refers to the rate of vibration of the photon. So literally the frequency, how fast the photon vibrates. Every density level has a faster rate of vibration. And so that's what the word density means. It's the, the density of light that a photon is able to generate. The more light that there is, the more information that there is, right? And the more information that there is, the more ability consciousness has to express itself. So you can think of the density as it's like seven levels of expression, and each one gets more complex than the previous, right? They build on each other, just like the chakras. Would you say that they become less dense? So it depends on what way you're looking at it, but from the perspective of light, we become much denser with light as we ascend up the densities. That's why beginning at the fifth density, the physical body that consciousness inhabits is a pure light body. And that's why many extraterrestrials that are, whether it's like, you know, I'm sure you've heard the work of Dolores Cannon, many of her regressions. Yes. You know, when she talks about, um, or when people she regresses who've had those encounters with ETs that are, they then forget about and stuff, their memories wiped. Almost all of them are encountering light beings, right? Usually it's an orb of light that can turn into a physical form of some kind. But basically, your body is pure electromagnetic energy at that level because the body always has to match the density of light, of consciousness, because the body is the conduit for consciousness to express itself. So a lot of these abilities like telepathy, levitation, um, physical healing, our physical body just isn't vibrating at a high enough frequency to, to do these things. You know, some people can do them who've really raised their frequency. But most people think that our minds are separate from each other. I don't know what's going on in your mind and I can't know and I can't affect you in any way. And that's separation consciousness. That's third density. Third density is basically when we go through the separation phase where we have to learn through all of the pain and suffering that we create by believing we're separate from each other. Eventually that forces consciousness to learn that we're all one that unity is the highest truth of the universe because the more we try to live separately from each other, the worse and worse it gets. You know, more war, more genocide, more slavery, more abuse. And until love dawns in consciousness, it's always going to be like that. So right now, there's an interesting transition happening on the planet, planet Earth, which Ra talked about back in the 1980s when this was channeled. Ra said that in 2011, 2012, Earth will be graduating from the third density into the fourth density, which of course correlates to the fourth chakra of the heart chakra, the green ray. And that's the density of love and understanding, love and unity, where we start to learn, hey, we're actually all one. Just because we're unique from each other doesn't mean we're separate. We're absolutely intimately connected in every way. And we're of the same source. We're of the same essence. And so that allows for real rapid evolution to take place on a planet when everyone's like, hey, we're all in this together and I'm interested in your highest good just as much as my own. That's when technology and um, incredibly flourishing societies and economies just burst onto the planet because right now we can see on our planet, it's like everyone's fighting each other, like King of the Hill or something, fighting to get to the top and to control one another. And so it's no wonder we have such a, distorted, you know, violent, abusive, dark planet right now, because we don't, we're not aware of oneness, right? So 
That's the phase we're moving into. We're moving from the yellow ray into the green ray. And so really the cool thing is each one of us participates in that planetary transition by opening our own green ray. Because the cool thing that I'm sure you are very tuned into, Jeff, is that we are all in this collective consciousness together. And so each one of our individual frequencies is adding to the whole, right? So like each one of us that raises our frequency higher, we're in a very small way raising the whole planet's frequency higher. And so it's like, yeah, one person alone can't do, can't make a very big effect on the collective. But when we get hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, you know, really prioritizing doing that spiritual work and getting into their heart and opening to the universe and love and service to others, that makes a remarkable effect on the planet when lots of us are doing that. And we're actually like tipping the scales more towards fourth density. And we're making it more accessible for other people to awaken to oneness and to get into their heart. So we, we truly are all in this together. And that's something that the law of one emphasizes in so many different ways. Do you feel that once we all are in the fourth density, duality will kind of fade away? Yes. In fact, that's something Ra talks about. Um, they actually say that the third density is by far the most difficult, challenging density level for the soul. And they say that the fourth density is at least 100 times more harmonious than the third. <laughs> that gives you a little perspective, right? What we call enlightenment, you know, in spiritual traditions on this planet, the idea of enlightenment, it's just the next stage of human consciousness. It's not like some special thing some people achieve. It's just that we're at a very early phase of moving into that next level of consciousness. Like in the same exact way, Jeff, that at some point in our evolutionary past, however this played out evolutionarily, I'm not making a definitive statement, but let's just say we were apes in Africa, whatever, 200,000 years ago. At some point, a transition in consciousness took place, right? And I think that that change probably took place when those ancient hominids, whatever they were or looked like, they began using verbal noises to label their environment, right? Uh, language started to develop at some point, and that's what allowed consciousness to make this great leap from the second density to the third density of self-awareness. Because let's say I use you know, some guttural ape noise to uh, refer to a banana or water, or danger, or whatever. So we, we start developing these noises that all the other hominids in the group know what they mean. So we're like using really primitive language. Well, at some point, those hominids would have used noises to refer to each other. So I give a certain noise, name, word, whatever you want to call it, to you. And so now when I make this certain noise, everyone in the group knows which hominid I'm referring to. Jeff, right? And then when I'm given a name, when, when the group names me something, I have a sound that means I. And that's when consciousness can do this about face and become self-aware. That's the transition from second to third density. That probably took, you know, thousands of years to fully make that shift. I don't know how fast those ancient hominids really developed language, but language was the catalyst into third density in the same way Suffering and division and pain is the catalyst to the fourth density. It's the driving evolutionary force that is giving us no other option 
but to recognize oneness. Oneness and love is the only savior for third density. But once we get into that awareness of love and oneness, again, we call that enlightenment. It's really just the next density of consciousness. And there's no more suffering as we know it here in the fourth density through the seventh. So third density is really the only density that contains psychological suffering. We could say that animals do definitely display a certain degree of psychological suffering, but nothing like humans do, right? An animal can't suffer over its past and think about, oh, I shouldn't have done that or fear the future of, I hope that this or that happens. Uh, an animal doesn't need to go to an animal psychologist to talk about their divorce. You know, like there's so much complexity that the human mind suffers from that it's not available in the second density animal. So for the most part, third density is the only density with psychological suffering. And that's for a very good reason, because there's something really amazing happening in this third density plane in that we're not just trying to transition into the awareness of oneness and love, but we're actually also choosing a polarity in the third density. And so this is something I think you'll find fascinating that every extraterrestrial being in the universe has to be polarized to the positive or the negative, meaning there's two different polarities in consciousness which we can choose to go down that path or this path. We could call it the path of light or the path of darkness. We could call it the path of love or the path of separation. And just like a quantum particle has to have a charge, right? To do work. Uh, the word work means like the ability to cause change in the environment. Unless a particle has a charge, it can't do any work. It can't really participate in anything. And so, the law of one says we're like that as souls, meaning we can't really even start participating in the universe until we choose a polarity. And that requires us to make a full commitment to one way or the other. And so a full commitment to the positive polarity is uh, unity consciousness. And that's what we call enlightenment. But there is also a kind of negative enlightenment that's available, which is the path of separation which is where you must basically cut yourself off from the entire universe such that you, you feel nothing towards creation. You feel as though you are the only being that really exists and everything else in the universe is just your dream to be played with and toyed with as you please, to be put into order and taken power over, right? To put, be put into dominion under my thumb. That's uh, the negative polarity. It's all about taking power over. And it's a, it's a much more difficult polarity to evolve on, according to the law of one, because you're basically fighting against reality the whole way. But when we look at certain, um, whether we want to call it cults or um, negatively polarized spiritual orders, like I'm going to use Freemasonry, for example, a lot of your listeners probably know this, maybe some don't, but Freemasonry at the beginning stages kind of just poses as a spiritual gentleman's club. You know, just, hey, we're just here to work on ourselves and become more spiritually wise. And so you enter and, and you ascend up the ranks by passing certain tests and things. This is a perfect example of how the negative polarity works in that it's all about, it's, there's always a hierarchy, Ra says. It's always a top-down kind of pyramidal structure. 
And the lower down the pyramid you are, the less you know about the pyramid you're in. Meaning if everybody knew from the beginning that Freemasonry, the ultimate goal is to convert you into a Satan-worshipping Luciferian, uh, almost nobody would join it, right? So they, they know that. They can't just be like, hey, we're Satan worshipers. Want to join us? Because <laughs> that's going to freak most people out. So instead, they say, hey, we're just spiritual enthusiasts. Uh, Want to join our club? Yeah, sure. Why not? And then as you go up the ranks, I think it's around you know the high 20s or something, um, the, the different tests you have to pass to polarize more negatively and ascend those ranks are things like uh, kill an animal and feel no remorse. You know, uh, cut off the head of a pig and drink its blood, things like that. And it's to desensitize you to love and unity, to make you feel that only separation is true and I can cut myself off from creation. So interestingly, Ra says the negatively polarized being skips the heart chakra. They go from red, orange, yellow. They keep green deactivated and suppressed as much as possible. And they jump to blue, which is the wisdom understanding chakra, the chakra of uh, discernment between truth and illusion. And then they ascend from there. And so we have a pretty strong negatively polarized power group on the earth, as we are all well aware of. And so that's why this really is a spiritual battle, if we want to use that word, because we're not going to beat those factions at their own game, you know, taking power over them, overthrowing them. They live and breathe deception, control, and manipulation. It's, it's their entire existence revolves around taking power. So we don't defeat the darkness with darkness, but with light. And that means just become a being of love and, and radiate love and unity and the cool thing is about those polarities is that the positive polarity is extremely depolarizing to the negative, but the negative polarity can't depolarize the positive unless it is intentionally allowed. So the positive is where all the real power is, and that's why Ra calls the negative path the path of that which is not, or the path of illusion, because it exists and relies upon the illusion that we're all separate. But in reality, oneness is the fundamental truth of the universe, and that's what the positive polarity acknowledges, and that's why all the power really is on the light side of things. Let me stop you for a moment because I have a few concepts that I need to clear up for myself. I believe what you're saying is in order for us to stop suffering planetary-wise, we all have to realize that we are all one. That's the way out of suffering, right? That's it. I'm not sure in which density this happens, but on one of the densities, you decide whether you're going to be positive or negative. Mm -hmm. what third de density, that, this one. Oh, that decision is made in third density. In this lifetime, we're all living. In fact, nobody gets out of here, Jeff. Nobody can graduate to the next level of consciousness until you choose a polarity. That's like the prerequisite for graduation is that the universe will keep spitting you back into a third density lifetime until you choose which polarity you really want. And here's what's really interesting. Ra says that the graduation point that the, the Logos is looking for is for you to reach at least 51% or greater service to others, uh, positive polarization. But for the negative, you have to reach a grade of 95% or greater 
negative polarization before you can actually graduate to a fourth density negative planet. So we have this massive difference, right, of basically you have to become only 5% service to others to become negative, but you only need to be 51% service to others to become positive. And that's because the positive polarity is the polarity of harmony and order and unity. So it has its own kind of momentum and gravity, and you only need to choose it by 1% to be eligible for a fourth density lifetime. But the negative is the path of disorder and disconnection and chaos and entropy. And so it's much harder to maintain that vibration because it wants to unravel so naturally. Like at the core, we are love. You know, we are oneness. So to deny oneness is such an incredibly difficult thing for consciousness to do, but it can do it. But that's why Ross says about 10% or less of all beings in the universe ever become negatively polarized and 90% or more end up graduating to the positive. Some of my near-death experiencers will end up in a place that's hell-like. Right. And I don't know if that's just a hell-like place still stuck here in the third density. But what intrigues me is what would a fourth density negative planet be like? Has he give you an example of that or she? It's an interesting question. They, I don't believe that Ra gives any explicit um, explanations of that, but it would basically look a lot like you know, imagine North Korea, this just like absolute communist dystopian nightmare where it's all a top-down order structure. That would be what a fourth density planet would be like, but probably even amplified quite a bit more than North Korea. And so every being on that planet would understand the game that's being played and understand, hey, we live in a giant pyramid and... If you want to have a better existence here, you have to ascend up the pyramid. So you have to become more selfish, more powerful. You have to take power over others. You know, on our planet, the negative polarity functions through money. Money is like the currency of power in that the more money a person collects, the more ability they have to take power over, right? I can buy out entire politicians, to make my laws as I want them. Think about George Soros or something. I can buy out entire institutions, medical systems, educational systems. Think about Rockefeller, right? This is what these beings do, is that the more power over you take, the greater negative polarity you generate. And so the more powerful you become in the negative. So that's what a negatively polarized fourth density planet would be, is like a you know Star Wars level combination of communism and that top-down hierarchy structure where the only difference would be that like when you look at China or North Korea, the people who are being so incredibly abused and dominated by their governments, they act like they're surprised or they act like, hey, this isn't fair, as if they think the government should treat them well, and that you know, something has gone wrong. We need to fix the government. That disillusionment wouldn't be there on a fourth density planet. They would absolutely know we live on a planet of power. And if you want to survive here, you got to take power. Otherwise, you're going to be taken over by others. And so it's this constant like king of the hill battle of who can get to the top. And um, the closer to the top you get, the more ugly it gets, the more ugly the fight gets, right? So this is all happening in fourth density. If we move up to fifth density, 
does the polarity of negative and positive still exist? Or even if you go higher, six and seventh, at some point, do they all come back as one? Mm -hmm. Excellent question. So because the negative polarity is the path of that which is not separation, separation doesn't exist on, in our universe. It's a projection of the mind only. If you look at the actual universe around us, everything exists in relationship. Everything exists in cooperation and interconnectivity. We live in a connected universe. Literally nothing can exist in a vacuum, right? Even a star, you know, floating in what we think is a vacuum of space. We actually know that space isn't empty, but it's actually full of energy. And even the even the star is in relationship to the space around it, right? Without space, you couldn't have a star either. So you, we cannot escape oneness in our universe. It is the fundamental truth. So that's why the negative polarity can only progress so far until they basically bump into a kind of metaphysical wall and they can't polarize any more negative. And so like, think about a shadow being cast, like the sun is setting and the shadow gets cast really long. A shadow can be cast for a very long distance, but eventually it's going to run out of room. It can't, it can't go stretch any farther. That's what the negative polarity is like. And so Ross says this, this juncture happens at the beginning of sixth density, where basically at the beginning of sixth density, sixth density is the density of unity. Um, on the positive, it's, it's perfect balance between love and wisdom or heart and throat chakra, you need to have a perfect balance of those two qualities to graduate to sixth density, which is not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> and so for the negative path, when they reach sixth density, they've shut off the heart chakra, right? They've muted the, the green ray to remain in this illusion of separation. And so what are they going to balance the blue ray with? There's no green ray to balance it with. So they, they, they've already experienced every kind of power over every kind of domination and control that exists in possibility. They've done it all. So they can't polarize more negatively by enslaving more planets and stuff. They've already done all that. So it's like, how do they progress? And interestingly, what the positively polarized soul does is that they likewise have already maxed out every form of service to others that exists in the universe. They've already helped entire planetary civilizations evolve. They've done it all. So how do they keep polarizing into the seventh density? <clears throat> well, they do this really amazing thing where the soul basically turns back in time and begins to serve as a guide <clears throat> to all of its past incarnations, thousands and thousands and thousands of lifetimes that turn back in time and become a guide to their past lives, bringing each of their lifetimes the experiences needed for evolution and learning and all of that, and trying to maintain that balance of helping and teaching without infringing on free will and things like that. And so that's what we call the higher self. We're familiar with that. Your higher self is literally your future sixth density self that has gone through four, five, and beginning of six. And by serving all your past lifetimes and kind of witnessing all your past lives from the other side of the fence, you know, because you've already done it from this side of the fence as the individual, but now you're looking from a more cosmic lens, taking in a greater scope of the picture. 
That's how you continue to polarize into the seventh density. But here's what's amazing about the negative polarity is that the negative polarity can't do that because the negative polarity at sixth density is so incredibly separate from everything that they can't even serve their own past lifetimes without polarizing to the positive because they're trying to help what is seen as an, a, a, a different entity. This was, you know, 5,000 lifetimes ago. It's like a, it's like a different entity from me and I have to help it. Well, the negative polarity doesn't help anybody. That's, that's the opposite of what they seek to do. So if they did that, they would literally polarize to the positive and depolarize themselves. So the negative sixth density soul is like, shit, what do I do? Like, I can't progress any farther. And eventually, Ross says, after they probably fight and wrestle with a million different ways of trying to polarize negatively, they eventually will have to concede and reverse their polarity to the positive to continue evolving. And I'm not totally sure if when a sixth density negative soul reverses to the positive, if they have to go back to the start of fourth density positive and continue from there, or if they just reverse and become sixth density positive. Um, not totally sure which one it is. I think it's probably the latter rather than the former. But the interesting thing is that there are no negatively polarized higher selves in the universe. Everyone's higher self, even extremely negatively polarized beings like Bill Gates or something, his higher self is positively polarized, even though he's negatively polarized. So it's kind of interesting to think about how a positive higher self is going to serve a negative soul, the lessons it needs to become more negative. But that's one of the cool things about the law of one is it says the creator doesn't blink an eye at the light or the darkness. It, the creator doesn't say, hey, the darkness is wrong and bad and invalid. It says both polarities are equally valid because both are their own experience of the creator. So to understand that, I always say, if you think about eating food at a buffet, there's two ways of finding out the foods you like, right? You taste food and you either love it or you taste something and you hate it and spit it out of your mouth, but both teach you what you like or what you are, right? So negative and positive both teach the creator, help the creator experience itself. But the difference is the negative can only go so far, again, because the actual truth of the universe is oneness. Are ETs in the fourth density, both negative and positive, trying to influence us here in the third density? to join their ranks. You better believe it. You better believe it. Do you want me to elaborate on that? Of course. So it's true that, you know, 90% or more of ETs in the universe are going to be positively polarized, which for, for like the average person who thinks about ETs and UFOs and all this stuff, uh, takes a little bit of time to really swallow this idea that, these beings that we see in our skies and UFOs, um, have you seen the uh, Moment of Contact documentary with, with um, the guy who was on Joe Rogan, James um, Fox? I have you not, seen this? I haven't, no. Oh, man, you're going to love this one, bro. It's on Amazon Prime. You can rent it. It's um, the story of the uh, UFO crash in Brazil in 1996 in... Um, Virginia, Brazil. Are you familiar with that one? I'm a little bit familiar with it, but I've never seen the movie. Okay, you got to watch it. It's so good. Basically, it's the most remarkable UFO 
alien ET encounter of all time by far, because this UFO uh, basically crashes in Virginia, Brazil, and you know thousands and thousands of people watch it happen. So there's thousands of eyewitnesses who all describe the exact same thing. So you're like, okay, something definitely happened. But then two beings, two extraterrestrials escaped from the crashed vehicle and are basically like running through the town trying to find somewhere to hide. And um, hundreds of people saw these two ETs. They, they went different ways, I think, a little bit, but they saw them running around. And then there's this really remarkable encounter with three women, um, three daughters who are about 16 to 19, who are walking in the middle of the day at like 3 p.m. Um, through the this kind of back alley way or something, and they see this crouched alien um, shaking and shivering, kind of like probably traumatized. And they said it looked like it was sweating a lot too. And uh, it's like a dark, really dark skin color with big, huge glowing red eyes. And it looks at them and two of the girls just take off running. Uh, they said we were Catholics. And so we just thought it was a demon, you know, um, but one of the girls uh, stays put and is locking eyes with this ET. And she said it was clearly a much smaller creature than us, but it was clearly in distress. And it telepathically communicated to me, like, can you help me? Like, I'm hurting. I'm, I'm dying. I need help. And uh, she eventually ran after her sisters. They told their mom and then they all drove back. And the ET was gone. By that time, the military had been called in and captured. Um, a one uh, a, a group of firemen captured one of the ETs, and it's kind of sad because they say when they're bringing it back to the fire station in this like um, kind of like rope, I think he's like a net to catch it. They said it was crying like a child, which is really sad to think about. Only God knows what those ETs were probably feeling physically. Probably that they were a different chemical makeup than our atmosphere. Um, I don't know how much they, if they even breathe or if they could breathe our atmosphere, but they're probably like suffocating, dying. Um, the interesting part is that everybody talks about this certain smell. They say it smelled like ammonia, but different, a little different than ammonia, but close to that, like, like sulfur kind of smell, but like um, a, a hundred times turned up from the, the most intense ammonia smell you've ever smelled. And people couldn't get this smell off of their body for weeks. For weeks at a time, they were still smelling it and showering and trying to scrub their body. So some kind of weird chemical thing was happening with these ETs, but both of them die. They get taken into a hospital to have MRIs done. They keep them in a bag so the doctors can't see them. And this guy in the documentary goes back to Virginia and interviews all these people who were the eyewitnesses, the three women who see the ET. So it's just, it's amazing to like, think about the fact that people actually witness these beings up close and what these beings are as we would consider them are like enlightened beings from other planets meaning they're they're at least in the fourth density some of them may be you know the light beings are definitely fifth or sixth density but the ones that are in still like physical looking bodies that's the fourth density which is gradually becoming more and more of a light body but so in the fourth density um, the way you polarize to the fifth density is by being of service to others. So positively polarized beings essentially travel the universe looking for third density planets that are struggling that they can help in their growth and their ascension process. But the most important law 
of um, a positively polarized being is do no harm. The first law of love is love does no harm. So in their attempts to serve, uh, fourth density beings are very aware of not infringing on free will. And so that answers the Fermi paradox question of if there's supposed to be so much life in the universe, why don't we see aliens buzzing around and landing here and talking to us? You know, they should be as many alien races as grains of sand on the sea. And there are, but those aliens are going to be either positively polarized or negatively polarized. And so based on which polarity they are, they're going to have a very different way of interacting with us. So on the positive end, positively polarized ETs really want to wait until we acknowledge them and of our own free will say, hey, we know you're here. We want to communicate with you. We're open to being helped by you. Let's have a relationship. And then they won't see it as infringement to do so. But you know, at this point in our evolution, there's still a lot of religion on this planet. There's billions of people, Christians, Muslims, Jews, who would have their entire frame of reference disoriented about God and reality if they knew that there are infinite other beings from other worlds. It would, it would do a lot of psychological damage to our population if we just had open contact with ETs. So they, I think what we're in right now, Jeff, I call it the acclimation phase, where think about the way that scientists observe wildlife, let's say in Africa, when researchers are trying to study, you know, a herd of lions or zebras or something, we don't go sprinting into the herd with cameras, snapping pictures and trying to touch the zebras and stuff, right? We would scare them, they'd run off. We observe from a very far away position and we want to observe them in their natural habitat. So we actually learn how does this species actually function so we can know how to actually help them. And we don't want to scare them or traumatize them. So we, we keep a safe distance. But some scientists will also let the animals see them, observing them, so that they can observe the animal's reaction to them. And it's kind of this second density energetic message of, hey, I'm not a threat to you because I'm keeping a safe distance. And you know, if I wanted to hunt you, I'd be doing that. So we're letting them be acclimated to our presence as scientists so that they'll let us hang out with them and study them and they'll not run away every time they see us. So that's what a fourth density extraterrestrial is trying to do to a third density human is, hey, let's hover around in their atmosphere. Let's make it undeniable that we're from another world and that we have technology that's far advanced from theirs. But let's make it clear that we're not here with ill intentions. Because I mean, let's all be honest, right? If these ETs had any ill intentions, we'd be slaves on another planet 100 years ago. Like they could take us over like that. They could neutralize every weapon on our planet. They could abduct us into their craft and off we go. They would have no reason to wait for hundreds of years before they take us over. So they're clearly trying to establish a kind of safety and relationship with us that will hopefully allow us to say, all right, guys, you've been here long enough. Let's talk. Let's hang out. We're not afraid of you anymore. And then they can actually be of service to us. That's why positive ETs, don't come land on the White House and start talking to us. But why don't negative ETs do that? Well, the negative ET also has a very similar reason why they can't just openly contact us and why they work more in the psychological domain um, through channeling and things like that. They, they want to influence the psyche of humans 
to become more negative because they know that the vast majority of beings on this planet are going to be service to others polarized and are heading that direction. And so a negative being, as I mentioned earlier, it's a lot harder to polarize to the negative. You have to really earn your polarization by taking power over others. And so negatively polarized beings are much more stingy and greedy with their polarity than a positive being would be, meaning they're not willing to lose any of it. They're not going to take any big risks because it's so hard to get negative polarity. So if a negative ET race were to land on the front house lawn of the White House and try to talk to us and try to um, probably what they would do would be to say, hey, look at our amazing technology and the powers we have. If you serve us, we'll teach you these powers. Right? That's classic negative enslavement. Well, there'd be a humongous faction of this planet, billions of people, myself included, <laughs> who would say, no, 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 not interested in your slavery. No, thank you. You can go back to where you came from. And we would highly resist their attempt at control. And that's one of the most depolarizing things for a negative being is when the being I'm trying to enslave turns against me and fights and resists my attempt. It's, it's highly disempowering to the being who's trying to take over. And that's why you always see negative enslavement is always psychological. It's always, hey, I have powers and abilities I can give to you if you serve me. This is what every villain, right, in every superhero movie does. They promise the superhero power and things like that if they'll join them. And so the, the hero has that moment where they have to face their ego and say, do I want to get all this power in exchange for becoming evil? And the hero inevitably says, no, like I'm going to still resist your temptation and I'm going to overcome you. So that's what would happen on this planet if negative ETs landed. They would risk losing a tremendous amount of polarity if everyone on the planet didn't go along with their enslavement. And of course, no, that wouldn't happen, right? So they know they're not going to come openly either. They're going to work in the background. And what they're going to do is they're going to influence the people in power on our planet to have more power so that they can make this planet more negative. So I do personally think that you know, the upper levels of Freemasons and whether you want to call it Illuminati, whatever, the power structures on this planet of the elites who own 99% of the wealth, I think that these beings do work directly with negative ETs who probably teach them different enslavement plans and options like we saw with the pandemic. Like they're probably getting a lot of their strategies from higher up because they're teaming up. Like this is one of the ways a negative being can polarize is if I'm a third density negative being and I want to polarize to the fourth density, for me to serve a fourth density master will polarize me. So whether you're doing the enslaving or submitting to the enslavement, you become more negative. And I think that's what beings on our planet are doing right now. So yes, there's, there is interaction from the negative, but it's not the way we typically think that it would be, right? What's popular on YouTube now is talking about that we live in a matrix type simulation and some people will even take it as far as that we're trapped here <laughs> what does the law of one speak about that and if not what is your take on that well the, the matrix is in your mind it's it's the matrix of deception that the negative polarity creates and basically the matrix is the belief in separation right even if we just use the term matrix for the societal structure that's been built on our planet where 
corporations control everything. Corporations control the government. Uh, the banks control the government. Our government is basically a puppet of the banks and corporations, right? That has been created through the matrix, which is the belief that we're separate. If we think we're separate from each other, all we can want to do is to take power over one another. Because with power comes safety, right? The more power I have, the safer I am. So it always comes from that primal need to survive. So the matrix is not an actual physical matrix that we're trapped in like Neo or something, but it's an even more difficult matrix to see than that because it's mental, it's psychological. The ways that we, uh, I did a video called The Illusion of Authority a few months ago with a friend of mine in a series we did where we talked about how the belief in authority is, is the matrix basically, which is the idea that some being some person inherently has some kind of moral right to rule over me or to tell me what to do. In a universe of oneness and unity, all are equals and all have the exact same rights. And you can't tell anybody what to do in an enlightened civilization. And nobody would because the law of free will is always abided by. But when I believe that whether it's a government a politician, a police officer, a judge, when we outsource our power to these people, that's what we call authority, meaning, oh, I have to do what they say. And you do in a sense, right? Because if you don't, they're going to either kill you or throw you in prison. But like, metaphysically speaking, no, those people have absolutely no authority over you. So like Jesus said, be as wise as serpents but be as innocent as doves, meaning know your purity, know your light, and know that no being on this planet, not the president, nobody, has any right to rule over you or tell you how to live your life. That's basic positive empowerment, and our planet is really struggling with that right now. We, we are learning that lesson in a very profound way, again, through things like the, the pandemic, where we're like, hey, you can't just tell me to be shut in my house and take a product I don't want to take or throw me in jail if I don't. Like, those events wake up our collective consciousness to the sort of monster we've created of this authority structure on our planet, where we've given so much of our power to governments and corporations and politicians to rule over us. And in doing that, we are creating that pyramid, right? We're creating the structure of control that we say we hate so much. So that's why to truly transcend the darkness, we cannot hate it. We cannot judge it and say, oh, these, all these evil people on our planet trying to take power. No, they're products of us. Like We created these people in our collective through our own individual greed and fear and need for power. We all have these shadows within us that until they are healed, until we have balanced those shadows, what right do I have to wave my finger at the greedy banking elites for being so corrupt if you know, when I find that $5 bill on the ground, I just take it for myself and I don't give it to the waiter and say, hey, somebody drop this. Like those little things of integrity that show my greed. If there's greed in me, I'm contributing to the greed in the collective. So I have no right to judge or point the finger. So that's the great thing about the positive polarity is we have nothing to fight. We're not trying to overthrow a negative pyramid structure on our planet. We're just trying to, to integrate our own light. And as we shine brighter, you know, light dispels darkness immediately, right? 
even one candle in a dark room illuminates so much. And I think if we get to even 5% of our planet who truly activate the heart chakra, the green ray, and become beings of unity, that the spiritual gravity that would create in our collective would be like a snowball downhill. And the whole planet would ascend so quickly. Once we reach that point, like, I don't think we need to get to 51% of people are enlightened before we transcend all this, the enslavement on our planet. I think it's a very small percentage. Because again, the positive polarity has all the power. The negative, that's why the negative relies on deceit and shadow and, and manipulation, because they don't have any power in and of themselves, because separation is not the truth of the universe. So they rely on illusions and deception. Whereas in the light, we just have to know the truth, stand on the truth, and be the truth. And the truth fights our battles for us. You mentioned earlier about the influence of negative fourth density beings on Earth. And you use the word channeling. So are you saying that some people may be mistakenly channeling negative entities and not even realizing it? Certainly, yes, that does happen. And that's something that Carla Ruckart and Don Elkins and Jim McCarty um, warned about in some of their following texts. There's, um, there's one called Living the Law of One, I believe, that Carla wrote, which is like, how do we live these principles that Ra gave us? Great, great book to read if you're a Law of One student. And she talks about how to test your channel, your, uh, your contact. To make to ensure that it's truly a being of light, because yes, a negative being, like until you have real spiritual discernment, you wouldn't know a negative being when you saw one. Because Ra actually says that negative beings are extremely beautiful to behold. Isn't that interesting? Yes, because definitely. Beauty is another control mechanism, right? When someone's this is like the classic example of a a beautiful woman the CIA hires to lure the child trafficker into a hotel room, and then all the guys come out and arrest him because that beauty is so alluring to the ego. It wants the beauty. So Ross says, a negatively polarized being, they would show up with slicked back hair, a beautiful white pearly smile, dressed to the nines, and just you know looking like the hottest thing there is because that's how they control. And so you're not going to just know when a negative being shows up, unless you have real spiritual discernment, because they're not like mustache twirling villains who cackle and stuff, right? They, they basically pretend to be angels of light and they pretend like they're trying to help you. That's why they say, Hey, I can help you out. Um, what's the movie I'm thinking of where the, the villain promises the hero that they can resurrect their dead mother. They can, is that is Star that, Wars? Yeah, it's Star Wars. Star Wars. Well, well I think actually that's going to be his wife, but still. It wasn't it um, Anakin's mother that dies. Right. And right. Uh, one of the Darth Lords promises him that on the dark side, we can raise the dead and I'll teach you how to do it. And that's what converts Anakin to the dark. And then his mom dies anyway. And the anger and rage just like polarizes him super negatively. Uh, that's how they do it. They pretend like they're here to help you. Really, they could give a shit about you mm -hmm. or what you need. They want to take your power and, and make you their servant, basically. Um, which on the negative path, again, that actually benefits both beings involved. To be a servant of a higher master, it will polarize you to a certain extent, but you'll get to the point where now the student has to overcome the master and there's a power struggle. And so Ra says, 
There are also negatively polarized social memory complexes, meaning negative planets also share one mind through telepathy, but the, the power dynamic is always unraveling because whoever's second to the top is always constantly fighting to get to the top. And so again, that's why it gets more, if you want to call it metaphysically violent, the higher you get on the pyramid, because you have to do more and more extreme things to overcome your master and be the new master and subdue him. So it's just like Star Wars, right? Where you see the Darth Lords fighting for power against each other. A lot of the time, it's it's pretty amazing how accurate Star Wars actually is. Yeah. Being a student of both Ra and the Bible, have you ever went back to the Bible and tried to see if any of Ra's teachings were similar to what the Bible teaches? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, oneness is taught in the Bible very heavily. Even in the Old Testament, the word oneness isn't used, but in many passages in the Old Testament, God, Yahweh, in the Old Testament, is very clear. I am the Lord your God. Besides me, there is none else. You have one God and one God only. And that's the um, alluding to the fact that there's only one being in the universe, which means we are all that being. And that's what unity is. But Ra talks about the Bible a number of times in the Law of One because they do ask Ra about certain biblical things and biblical characters like Jesus, like Moses. And Ra says that the Ten Commandments, interestingly enough, were um, the Yahweh was a positively polarized fourth density social memory complex attempting to help out the Israelites and teach them the law of one. But there was also heavy, heavy negative influence from negative beings or memory complex trying to distort what that positive being was doing. And the negative path is extremely clever in the way that they manipulate. And Ra says, you know how the commandments say, thou shalt not blank. So the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a positively polarized uh, teaching. That's just like, hey, here's how the universe works. You got to love God. But then when you get to like commandment number four and beyond through 10, it all becomes do not, do not, do not, do not. And that's actually negative. That's a kind of control. Uh, the, a positively polarized being would never tell someone not to do something. They would explain the consequences of both decisions and let the person choose for themselves. And then maybe they paint a pretty clear picture of which decision's good and which decision's harmful. But they're never going to say, do not covet your neighbor's wife. Do not commit murder. Because that's control. I'm trying to control your behavior. So there's things like that in the law of one that give you a different, a very different framework for looking at the Old Testament and especially characters like Moses. Um, and many of the things that Ra says about Jesus are also quite illuminating as well. Is the raw material in one book? It is 106 channeling sessions over a four-year period. So I think they they were releasing these channeled sessions every so often over those four years because like they didn't know how long they were going to go. So I think it's something like um, like 23 sessions per book. And so the law of one is broken up into five books technically, five volumes of that raw contact. But yeah, it's, it's one it's really just one contact, 106 sessions over four years. And if you go to um lawofone.info, 
the uh, LNL research team that channeled this text has put together an amazing website resource that has the entire 106 sessions with a search bar. And you can search for words or terms and look things up to, to read more of the sessions that talk about those subjects. So if you want to dive into Law of One, lawofone.info is a resource you absolutely should take advantage of. We were talking about enlightenment earlier. Is there a shortcut to it? <laughs> that is the question. Um, and you know, I, I definitely think that there is in a sense. There, there is no shortcut in the sense that we all have to pass the same karmic tests, right? We all have to overcome our selfishness and our greed and our separation. We all have to heal the traumas and the unresolved conflicts inside of ourselves and become a being of true love, open-hearted love towards everything. But there's many different paths we can take to arrive at that destination. And I do think some paths take longer than others. Doesn't mean they're any less valid. They just take longer. But for me, Jeff, as I've studied the law of one for six or seven years now, and especially uh, this channel text, A Course in Miracles, A Course in Miracles and the law of one to me are just perfect dance partners because a Course in Miracles doesn't talk about the metaphysics of the universe and reincarnation. It's more just about the actual spiritual truths of love, unity, um, oneness versus separation. What is the ego? How do we overcome the ego? And so they, they work really well together in that the law of one is like the map that shows you the territory you're on. Like, here's where we are. Here's where we're trying to go. But... A Course in Miracles is like the tour guide who takes you by the hand and walks you through the actual terrain and teaches you how to graduate to fourth density. And out of all the reading and studying I've done, it's it's gotten more and more simplified for me over the years as it tends to do as we evolve. And it's like if I could go back to five years ago, Aaron, and give him one framework to practice that would ex uh, expedite his journey, it would be this. Uh, we talked about oneness and that everything exists in relationship in the universe. And so a lot of times when we try to come into this awareness of oneness, it feels difficult, right? It feels challenging to see oneness because again, we have an ego mind that's always projecting separation. It makes us feel like we're separate. We seem to see evidence that we're separate. So it's like we have to fight against our own mind to see oneness. But this framework is like a Trojan horse for the ego. It's like a, a good virus that works its way into the mind and just eats its way through the mind. And it's this framework that all things exist in relationship. Meaning, if I have a hard time grasping oneness, then forget about that concept of oneness. Just try to begin seeing that everything is in relationship to something else, right? The tree is in relationship to the dirt. Um, the glass I'm drinking water out of is in relationship to the water inside of it. Like there is nothing that's not in relationship. So when we start seeing relationships everywhere, we start to see oneness everywhere, but the ego doesn't realize it. Because relationships are actually something the ego really likes, but for different reasons, 
Ego wants to use people to feel special, to feel good about itself. It wants to possess people. So ego is always looking to engage in relationships, but very negative relationships, right? So when you start looking for relationship, it's like ego's glad to open up the castle doors for that Trojan horse. Like, oh yeah, I like relationships. I want as many relationships as I can get because I want to use them for me, right? But then as we continue to contemplate it, it forces the mind to recognize the absolute unity of the universe, that nothing exists in a state of separation and that everything depends on everything else. And so we start to come into these natural realizations that, for example, the only reason I can talk to you right now and move my hands like this is because of the mitochondria in my cells that are constantly working to keep me alive and my nervous system that fires the communication to my muscles. And you're like, wow, my whole body is a universe, but I have no clue how any of it works, but it's always sustaining me and giving me life. You're like, what a beautiful relationship that is. And then the sun that always shines gives me life. The air that I breathe gives me all these things I'm in relationship to are what I call me. I am, I am indistinguishable from the environment outside of me and the environment inside of me, neither of which I have any control over. Like I can't tell my heart to stop beating. I can't tell my blood sugar to regulate. I can't do any of that stuff. I can't tell the sun to stop shining, but nevertheless, I'm in this intimate relationship with them. So when you see relationship is the invisible reality of the universe. The next step to enlightenment, the shortcut you asked about, is to say, okay, then I really just have one practice that I need. I have one order of business I need to resolve, and that is to make all relationships loving. That's it. Can you just live your life in such a way that you practice being in loving relationship to everything? Because really, when we're unloving towards people or others, it's because we're not really aware of the fact that we're in a relationship to them. We think they're separate from us. And what I do to you is of no effect to me. And you, you know, you're in my way. I want to step over you. But when you know the connection you have with everyone and that everything affects everything, then you do feel a kind of karmic burden to be loving and kind, to do good and to bless others and to serve them because you know that a relationship is giving and receiving. Right. If, if I'm giving out love, I will get it back always. That's the law of reciprocity. But if I give out hatred, if I give out anger, if I give out attack, I will get that back as well. So through the one framework of relationship, to me, it's, it just resolves so many of the, um, uh, the, the thought systems of the ego that keep us in separation. It has an amazing way of dissolving them sort of from the inside out. Um, because again, it's kind of like a virus for the ego mind that slowly begins to eat away at it. And so that practice of being in loving relationship is fourth density. We could say a fourth density being is simply a being that is only in loving relationships to everything, to itself, to its body, to its environment, to other people, to its own thoughts, to its own feelings, to its own past, everything you can conceive of as a relationship, make it loving. And that's the hack to fourth density. Would you say that is also the easiest path to raising our frequency? Or is there something else? By far. Yeah. Anything you can do to activate love 
is going to raise your frequency more than anything else. Because that is the next density, the chakra of the heart. When we're born here, Jeff, we only have the first three chakras in activation, red, orange, and yellow. Maybe very, very advanced souls do come here with some degree of heart chakra activation naturally. But again, we're trying to become fourth density beings, which means we have to activate the fourth chakra, become a being of love here and now. And so we earn the heart chakra by putting a demand on it, right? We activate it by putting a demand on it. And that is to be loving, to be of service. And um, interestingly enough, I haven't mentioned this, Ra actually names both polarities, a different name, to sort of summarize how that polarity evolves. And the positive polarity they call the service to others path. And the negative polarity they call the service to self path. And the interesting distinction is that service to others doesn't mean that you ignore yourself and you never serve yourself or benefit yourself. Quite the opposite, actually. Ross says that all service is ultimately service to self because there's only one being in the universe. So if you're not healthy and happy and vibrant, you can't be of service to others anyways. So what it means is that on the positive polarity, Everything we do to serve ourselves is seen through the lens of the healthier and happier I am, the better service I can give to others, right? The more I help me, the more I can help you. And so it's all seen as one kind of service to the one self, that the creator is in everybody. And if I'm aware of that, I will see God in you and I will love the God in you and I will want to serve it naturally as like an act of worship, right? But the negative being says, no, no, there is no God here but me. It's all my dream. Nothing else exists. And so everything I do in this universe will be to serve myself at the expense of others, at the cost of others. So that's the real difference in the two paths is how they serve themselves. On the positive path, we know that loving and giving and blessing others makes us more expanded and happy and full of love. And on the negative path, by... By taking control over people, I benefit myself. That's the key difference. Have you ever witnessed a UFO? Yes. Can you tell us about it? Um, I was in uh, Puerto Vallarta with my now wife, then girlfriend, in March of 2021. And we had just watched Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind um, a couple months before that. And so we were sitting on the beach around 7.30 or something. The sun had just set below the horizon. So it was dark, a little bit of a pink glow over the horizon. And we're just watching this beautiful ocean, you know, sunset. And we're all alone on this part of the beach sitting on the sand. So I said, hey, do you want to do a CE5 meditation? Yeah. I mean, that movie will inspire you to do that. It sure will. And I've done them a few times without the same luck, but um, I knew how to do them, right? So we sat there and we just, what do you do? You open your heart in love. You send out a big green ray bat signal to the ETs, right? Hey, I'm here and I know you're here and I love you. And you're my brothers and sisters. I see you as one with me. And uh, if you want to communicate to me, I would love to have some level of interaction right now. So out of love, Those ETs in the fourth density are, they're in the love density. So they're very sensitive to that green ray signal. 
and they and they're telepathic so they can read your mind but they love to respond to that call like they're not going to be like dance monkey dance you know but if there's a genuine like oh i know you're here and i love you they can't help but respond and say i love you too with some kind of signal and so as we're sitting there probably 10 minutes or something like that um you know how bob lazar talks about ufos the way that they glow mm -hmm. Um, because most UFOs are using a kind of gravity propulsion, apparently, where the, the craft itself is generating a gravity field that they manipulate, you know, through space time. Well, that gravity field, especially at night, is pulling in whatever photons are left in the atmosphere from the sun. And so it's they emit a kind of glow. And it's very bright, but it's not radiant, meaning the light's being pulled into the craft, not bursting from the craft. So when you see a UFO, it's pretty unmistakable because it's a very bright, very concentrated dot of light that usually doesn't have any kind of aura energy coming out of it, but it's like a really concentrated circle of light. And so we see this green circle of light go from one end of the horizon and zip all the way across from eye level to eye level in about a second or two. And it kind of did an arc motion. It went across the horizon. And it, it didn't leave a trail behind it, which is the other way you know. Uh, they're not emitting light, so they're not going to have a light trail like a comet would. But that dark light concentration just skips across the horizon in a kind of U-shape. And I, I, we both went, oh my gosh, and we both saw it. And then I saw it behind me out of the corner of my eye, and I turned around, and it did the same thing behind us across the horizon. Uh, just low enough on the horizon that there, it felt like the, the ETs were saying like, Hey, we're clearly not a meteor because at night you don't you wouldn't see a meteor skimming across the earth, you know, through the atmosphere. You only see meteors straight above you where it's very clear visibly. So they were playing along that little sunset of the horizon to show us, you know, we're a craft and there's no light trail and they did it on both sides of the horizon in front and behind us uh to kind of give us no doubt of what we were seeing. So it was a very beautiful moment and interaction. That's amazing. I'm glad that you brought up the CE5 movie because from what I understand, Greer doesn't believe there are any negative ETs. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people disagree with him and it appears that you do too. Mm -hmm. Can you comment on that? Yeah, you know, I know why he would believe that. And look, I don't know anything for certain, right? Uh, I am profoundly, I'm in profound resonance with the law of one material. Um, I'm a big fan of channel texts. And to me, there's no denying when a text is genuinely channeled because the information is so outside of your reference frame. It's nothing you've ever heard before. It blows the circuits off of your mind, but at the same time resonates in your soul as like, part of me knew that this was true already, but now I have a framework to understand it. That's how the law of one is to me. So I, I give the law of one the most credibility in terms of what I trust. Um, it, like if someone just tells me something, okay, I can't know if that's true or not. But if the law of one says it, I'm much more likely to believe that it's true because of how profound that text is. And honestly, how much it's been proven true since it was channeled. Uh, there's so many things that Raw channeled back in the 80s that we didn't know whether scientifically or world events, let's say, that have all come to pass or been proven through science which we could go into on a whole other podcast, but uh, I'm very, I'm very trustworthy of the law of one material. 
And so I understand why Dr. Greer would think that there's no negatively polarized ETs, because Ra talks about this phenomenon called the quarantine, which, um, so there's something called the Confederation of Planets. Uh, Greer talks about the Confederation all the time in that many advanced social memory complexes of the positive will come together to, to create a kind of council where they can serve the universe around them better. And so all throughout the universe, there's different confederations of planetary civilizations that have evolved into those higher densities, and they want to really be of service to struggling planets. And so the confederation of planets in our part of the galaxy, they, they do something called the quarantine, which is a kind of energetic field around planet Earth, which is for the sole purpose of preventing negatively polarized ETs from actually getting into the atmosphere. Um, the positive, again, is the polarity of power. And so there's a lot of abilities in consciousness that positive beings have that negative beings don't have. Um, think about any kind of psychic power that relies on oneness and unity, like, like um, uh, being able to, uh, like in Star Wars, when they can transplant a thought into someone's mind. So different things like that require unity to be acknowledged before that power can operate. And so negative beings can't do certain things that positives can, like create a bubble of protection around a planet of positive energy. So the reason that they do that is because if these confederations didn't protect third density planets, they would be overrun and infested with negative beings trying to enslave them very quickly. From the inception of hundreds of thousands of years ago when we're first evolving, we would have negative beings here trying to enslave us and control us and taking advantage of our foolishness, right? And so basically every planet on Earth would become negative because the negative being like a virus wants to take everything over, right? And so in order to keep the law of free will, these beings will protect struggling planets so that no negative ETs can actually physically come in. Now, negative ETs can work in consciousness, through the psyche, through channeling, through communicating, absolutely. But their, their physical presence is currently being blocked here. And if a planet was moving to the negative polarity, they would release that quarantine and allow negative beings to go in because they don't want to stop the negative path from doing what they do. You know, everything has to be equally honored in the law of one, but they also want to keep balance, right? And so we don't we don't and won't see negative ETs here who are going to try to enslave us and stuff because that they're not being allowed to come to our planet. And so it makes sense to me that you you might think, hey, there's they're all good, they're all positive. And it's really just the ones that we're able to interact with in that sense. Aaron, I need to switch gears with you due to time. If people want to find your YouTube channel, is it just called Aaron Abke, The Law of One, or what? Yeah, you can find me at youtube.com slash Aaron Abke. And then same with Instagram and my website as well. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Should they do that through your website or through comments in your videos? Yeah, um, if you email me questions, I probably won't get to them because I get so many questions from people. And I have I have two full programs with hundreds of members in them. And so they kind of get first priority with my time. But um, whenever I post videos or if uh, you want to go to an old video and 
comment a question, I may see that on YouTube and be able to respond. But honestly, if you just watch my Law of One series, it's probably going to answer 95% of the questions you would have on this topic. All right. Well, besides the YouTube channel, what else do you have going on? So I have two programs. One is a program about this text, A Course in Miracles, which is really just a course all about mind training and finding real inner freedom through what we're talking about today, just integrating love and oneness. And so that's a really fun program I, I run with a co-facilitator. And then the, the sort of solo project I have is called 4D University, which is a kind of an online academy fully dedicated to the expansion of consciousness. And really the overarching goal of the curriculum in 4DU is to ensure graduation from third density. So it's a seven-month curriculum of three different masterclasses that systematically take you through all the understandings and the teachings and the tools you need to really access fourth density consciousness in this life and heal the shadows of third density through a lot of the teachings in the law of one, like spiritual balancing and catalyst integration. So basically, if you're a huge fan of the law of one and sort of that framework for the spiritual path, then 40 University was made for you because we really follow Ra's teachings in a pretty deliberate way. Uh, with, of course, my own unique flair and interpretation on it. But we have about 400-something members now, and we just have a thriving, amazing community of spiritual adepts who are just all about doing this work, all about spiritual ascension. And so it's just the place to be if you are passionate about doing this kind of work. Aaron, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Yeah, I could leave you with a lot of different positive messages. Um, I guess what feels relevant to come through right now based on our conversation is that yes we are living through a very profound time on this planet yes the shadows are surfacing like never before and yes that brings a lot of challenges for those of us walking the path of light but i want to encourage everybody listening that our destiny is inevitable because ra talks about how our planet Again, to graduate to a positive polarity in fourth density, you have to reach 51% or greater positive polarization. And Ross says, back in the 80s when this was channeled, that their estimates show through the, the, the scans, the mathematical scans they can run, whatever it is, their estimate is that we will graduate to 51% or more positive in 2012. And that was kind of the whole Mayan calendar thing that happened. But we are technically a fourth density planet, which means that now the Earth itself, you know, Earth also has its own toroidal field, just like a person does with its own um, energy web. And so there's a cool graphic I could screen share, but I won't just for the sake of time of uh, each chakra, each energy center is its own toroidal field. And so as we access or activate the higher chakras, a larger toroidal field develops from that chakra. So it's like our, our state of our energy field expands as we awaken and ascend through the chakras. And earth is doing the same thing, right? As earth is now graduating to fourth density, the green ray field is coming into activation slowly over thousands of years. And the more that the earth moves into fourth density, the more that you and I naturally move into fourth density. 
we could say the easier and easier it will become on this planet to spiritually awaken and transcend ego consciousness. And I feel like we're seeing that already in a pretty big way, that it's uh, it's very difficult to be alive on this planet right now and not be awakening to some extent because so many shadows are being exposed, right? So we are a microcosm of the macrocosm in the very same way that you cannot achieve spiritual illumination until you first have met your shadows and healed your shadows. You have to do that shadow work, right? To reach the light. And earth also has to do that because we as humanity are, are sort of like one being, the collective consciousness. So every fear, every trauma, every everything on this planet in, in the human mind is kind of joined to make up the planetary energy field. And so as each individual person on this planet does their shadow work and transmutes their darkness into light, we raise the frequency of the planet more and more. So as the planet awakens, we awaken and vice versa. The more of us that awaken, the more we help the planet awaken. So we're in this co-creative journey together. We're all in this together. And all you have to do, as tempting as it is to go out and protest and call out the corruption, not that you can't do those things, but the most impact any one of us can make is right here in our own heart by awakening our heart to the awareness of oneness. And that's the salvation of humanity. That's it. Nothing else will truly save us other than us individually awakening to unity and becoming beings of love, right? Becoming love in this world. You can awaken so many people in your life, in your environment, just by embodying the truth of love. You know, your light will spark the light in others. Uh, sort of like Jesus said, don't hide your light under a bush, but let it shine so that all men may see and benefit from your light. So to me, our destiny is inevitable. We are moving towards an enlightened civilization. How fast we get there is the question. But I think we're already on that path of moving into fourth density. And so right now we're just seeing humanity doing its collective shadow work. You know, we're healing the shadows of corruption. You know, we've healed the shadow of slavery and now we're healing the shadow of racism and all these different archetypes of shadows. We will continue to go through this shadow work until everything in humanity's collective has been healed and balanced. And then we become that enlightened civilization. So although it's challenging to see these shadows surfacing, let it also be an encouragement to you that we're moving in the right direction, right? Because as you face your darkness, you know you're moving towards the light. And the same is true for humanity. Aaron, thank you for that message. And thank you for being my guest. Thank you, Jeff. My pleasure. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.